Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of over 240,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of production and broadcasting costs for The Modern Architect. Stanford University's FM radio station, broadcasting across the Bay Area on 98.1 FM and across the world at kzsu.org. From the campus of Stanford University, this is the Modern Architect radio show and podcast, featuring one-on-one interviews with renowned and cutting-edge architects, influencers, and sustainability leaders. The show and podcast will inform, educate, and illuminate the transformation joy, and inspiration architecture brings to our cities, communities, and lives. Hosted by architecture aficionado and principal of Hackery, I'm Tom Tio. Our guest today, please welcome council member for the city of San Mateo, California, Rick Bonilla. Rick served as mayor of San Mateo, California in 2018. Rick was also born in San Francisco and grew up on the peninsula where he and his wife have resided in San Mateo since 1991. Rick was appointed to the city council in January 2015 and elected November 2015 to a two-year term and re-elected in 2017 to his first full term. Rick has also served as the chair of San Mateo's planning commission and served six years on the Public Works Commission and several years on the Bay Meadows and Transportation Corridor Citizens Advisory Committee. For more information, feel free to visit www.cityofsanmateo.org. That's www.cityofsanmateo.org. Hello, Rick. It's an honor and pleasure having you on the Modern Architect Show. Good morning, Tom, and I'm glad to be here. Thank Uh, you very much. It's really nice to have you, Rick. Rick, I'd like to start with... um, some early inspiration or inspirations, if you will. If you can go back as far as you can recall to where you've seen yourself helping the city and being a mayor and a council person, can you see as far back as you can when that sort of inspiration to be a leader or that sort of leadership may have galvanized in your life? Yeah, it actually, I think, probably goes quite a ways back. And I didn't even realize when it was actually first happening. But having been born here in San Francisco and growing up on the peninsula and, and, and seeing all the changes we've gone through, th- this has really been an inspirational place to live. I remember, for instance, the first Earth Day. I was in high school in 1970. I was a junior. They put us on a bus and took us down to the, the beach along Chrissy Field and gave us rakes and pitchforks and bales of hay. There was an oil spill that had happened. So we were cleaning the beach. We were cleaning the oil off the beach. And that was really some of the first awareness that I think uh, a lot of the young people of my generation had regarding, you know, there's something going on. Some of these things we are doing, some of the extractive processes 
in conveyance systems, which we're seeing problems with with PG&E today, right? We're a little out of whack. And as we see, we continue to have some issues with that because we still have oil spills. We have gas leaks, explosions. We have fires resulting from maybe improperly maintained uh, infrastructure. So as I went through my life, I became a carpenter. And in the Carpenters Union, there's an organization. We have our local and we have a chair we have a vice chair, a trustees, and we have a structure that we're all elected, right? So members of the local elect everybody. And so I joined the union in the early 70s. About the early 90s, as I'm maturing and, and you know, really learning <laughs> what it's about at work and, and what the future, you know, realizing, oh, there's a pension out there that if I plan properly, I could live well with. Yeah. There are other opportunities because the union offers some other opportunities for investment. I, I started looking at the future and thinking about how do we get from here to there in an organized way, right? So that, and, and I wasn't thinking just about myself. I mean, I learned here in California where we had things like the great boycott, the struggle with the uh, United Farm Workers, and I saw plenty of other labor issues going on. Labor grew to be very important to me and how people are compensated, things like safety, and just a place at the table on the job I learned was very important. So I ran for office at the local union. I became the recording secretary, and I did that for a couple terms. And around the same time, I also, in 1995, I started paying very close attention here in San Mateo to um, how big construction projects are approved and then who comes to do the work, because that's what I did. But what I noticed was that projects were being approved and then people are coming from Arizona and New Mexico yeah. and other places to do the work. It seemed to me like there was some kind of a disconnect there. I wondered why <laughs> oh, really? the people yeah. who were elected yeah. here to represent the people who live here wouldn't try to make sure that the jobs they created went to the people sure. who live here who do that work. Sure. Which only makes sense if you look at it from an economic standpoint because all the wage dollars then that would be spent here help propel our own local economy in an up upward manner. Yeah. So anyway... 95, I started paying attention. 2001, I got appointed to the Bay Meadows and Transit Quarter Committee, which is where we studied that second phase of Bay Meadows that's being built now here in San Mateo. It's still about 70% complete. I think they have like five years left on their development agreement. But I did that, studied that for over three years, yeah, from 01 through 04. And then I applied for and got uh, accepted for the Public Works Commission, six years there. Learned a lot about our infrastructure. And along the way, of course, I've, uh, I'll tell you, there's a parallel track. Let okay. Me tell you that. Yeah. Let me finish this. Okay. Then I was on the Planning Commission for a few years, and then the opportunity opened up where, unfortunately, one of our council members in 2015 announced that he had a health condition and he would have to step down. And so I decided, well, here's my opportunity. I looked around at the field and who else might be applying. I thought very quickly. I said, no, here's my opportunity. So I applied for that position, and I was selected unanimously by the four sitting members of the council. That started my elected career. I was appointed in January 2015, elected unopposed in November 2015. So that allowed me to complete that, that member's term, which just ended at the end of 2017. I ran for re-election and I won handily, so I'm here now in a seat that is a five-year term, ends in 2022, because at the same time we had to change to even-year elections to comply with state law. At the same time, in 1998, I applied for and got a job with the Carpenters Union. 
And in that capacity, I was a what we call a field representative. I worked for the Northern California Carpenters Regional Council. And my job was to go out in different areas in Northern California and then later other areas across the country to work on different things with people. But the key thing was improve the work atmosphere and, and improve the ability for members of the union to be able to get work and also grow the union, so get more members to come and join the union by creating more opportunities with employers who are signatory to the contract to employ them. I did that for 13 years. I worked all over Northern California. I did a lot of work specifically in the South Bay and in the San Francisco area toward the end of that career where I retired from in 2011. But along the way, I also went to uh, building trades conferences in Washington, D.C., legislative meetings with our legislators in D.C. and here in Sacramento. We have our international training headquarters in Las Vegas. I spent time out there being trained in, in communications and train-the-trainer kind of things so I could help other people learn how to get more involved in the union and help us you know, propel ourselves even farther. So that was a great career. Along the way, I, love I met a lot of politicians okay. because who gets elected matters to us sure right so i would interview politicians i would actually if we if we chose to support politicians i would actually help them with their campaigns volunteering you know everything from precinct walking phone calling putting signs out and so you roll up you're always your sleeves are always rolled up oh yeah i heard it you, you roll still that way i'm a carpenter you yeah know, i believe in getting your hands right into it yeah you know yeah but talking is only part of it you got to actually do things you know, so what's well, rare? I, I noticed the leadership is. Um, I'm patting you on the back here too, but it's definitely from what our audience can hear from you is you're you're looking not just beyond leadership. You're looking at getting in there with with people and actually bringing it from the ground up. Bringing other people along. Okay, yeah. Bringing it from the ground. I noticed there's a theme. There's a, and we shared before we got we started our show is that you like to 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 lift up. You know, right. lift up people and share with it like the San Mateo and your your term. There was a, a lot of. Um, positive change and positive growth can you share with us you know some of that even in the city of san mateo well i'm very proud of san mateo we are a fairly progressive place Um, we're fortunate to be you know centrally located on the peninsula we have economic opportunities we have a um um a population of smart people we have great educational opportunities um we have uh, good infrastructure. I'll talk more about that later because mm-hmm. our infrastructure can use some improvement. But um, um, so we have many things going for us. And, uh, and yet, you know, there are some things that uh, uh, as we're moving into what is now a very high cost of living uh, period of time here in, in the Bay Area. Sure. Right. Uh, uh, real estate prices are through the roof uh, for purchase. Uh, rental prices are just astronomical. Um, not everybody gets paid well enough to be able to afford to live here, but we need a bunch of those people, low, lower wage workers, to be here because there's still a lot of work for them. And uh, what I noticed was that people were coming into the council and um, really emotionally um, uh, uh, you know, upset because these were people who had lived here with their families for generations in some cases um, and who were not able to pay their rent. They were getting huge rent increases of uh, uh, 10 or 20 percent, in one case, 100 percent. A young uh, man who was a teacher and his wife, um, and they had two kids, 
they're living in an apartment right near here. Their rent went from sixteen to thirty-two hundred a month, and they had to move. Um, but this was a growing movement, and so I thought, well, um, at the time also came a discussion that the then uh, mayor David Lim brought to the fore, and it was regarding well trying to do something about uh, the progression of rents going ever higher and higher. Um, so we had to talk about rent control and uh, other um, um, things that would help renters to get by. Turned out to be very divisive. Um, the council wasn't able to settle on anything uh, around that. There were a lot of influences coming from every side. Um, so we uh, weren't able to do anything, yet the people took it into their own hands. They went out and gathered signatures. They put it on the ballot, and the measure lost. So... Um, what I said was, fine, we can't do that. Let's raise the minimum wage, right? And we did that, okay? I started talking about that um, right after that measure failed. And within uh, a year, we had an outline. We had legislation that we could, you know, fine-tune. And I think it was August of 2016 here. We approved increasing the minimum wage from what was then the state's wage. I think it was like ten fifty an hour. Uh, to $15 an hour by January 1st, 2019, which is right mm -hmm. around the corner now. Mm -hmm. So right now we're at $13.50. On January 1st, it'll be up to $15. And raising the minimum wage uh, at the time, uh, uh, $15 was what you were hearing on the news across the country. You were seeing the fast food uh, restaurant setting being challenged by thousands of workers, and they were all chanting about $15 an hour. But I was looking at our economy and how quickly costs were going up, and I said, you know, by the time we get to 15, it's going to need to be 18. Yeah. How do you have that foresight, Rick? Really? I mean, because that, that, you got to see ahead right. to do that. Yeah. So yeah. Where, where do you use I was looking at the momentum. I was looking at the direction things were going in, and things are only getting more expensive, and more and more people were being displaced. You know, when somebody's displaced, that doesn't mean they necessarily have left their job. Okay. Okay. They'll go to the other side of the bay and find a cheaper place to live, and then they spend an hour on that bridge commuting back and forth. So at the same time, the environment is one of my big issues, right? So I'm working every day to try and eliminate greenhouse gas emissions, methane emissions, you name it, whatever we can do to stop the buildup of this layer in the atmosphere that's causing the global warming, which is causing sea level rise, causing these fires. Uh, we have so many really negative effects coming from um, transportation, which is the biggest carbon emitting uh, sector that we have. Yeah. You're listening to The Modern Architect, KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. We're talking today with Rick Bonilla, council member for the city of San Mateo, California. For more information, feel free to visit www.cityofsanmateo.org. That's cityofsanmateo.org. Rick, you're talking about transportation and how that affects Well, I want to negative back effects, to yeah. what I was saying, though. Because when you displace people... Displacement, yeah. Yeah, you get them then driving back and forth. People who cannot afford new electric cars. You know, people <laughs> yeah. can't even afford hybrids. 
people who are working in restaurants and cleaning places um, and in other better paying jobs, nurses, teachers. We actually have teachers here sleeping in their cars. We have students up at CSM sleeping in their cars, right? We have people who should be able to live, you know, more decently in our very well-off society, right, who are struggling to get by. The level of inequity was striking to me, uh, and I felt compelled to try and do something about it. So that's why the increase in the minimum wage, and that's why I said we should probably even plan for it to go higher. Yeah. Uh, in 2020, on January 1st, we will also add in the um, consumer price index inflation. So it's, you know, 2 3%, whatever it is. That'll start tacking on every year to the minimum wage. Um, unless at some point, you know, right now, economy is kind of leveling off, sort of uh, waving a little bit up and down, and we're not sure recently it's uh, taken some downturns. So who knows if we're ever going to need to increase it again. <laughs> You know, yeah. but, but I think by doing what we did, it was a very positive step. And it showed the working people out there that this city council cares. Okay? We're not lip service. Okay? We're not just uh, good-looking people who stand up here in suits <laughs> you know, and, and, and dresses and, and make uh, pleasant sounds. We're actually working on the hard things that need to be done. We took leadership in this county. We were the first city. Right. So so coming from my background in labor, to me, that was a natural response to people not being able to afford to live here. Uh, Rick, this transcends the uh, just the, the political and the leadership is where do you get your sense of care about these issues and about people? I mean, if you can go back as far even now, what, what, yeah. because there's a there's a strong care level. Right. And. How do you obviously have it in you? And then how do you choose other leaders to, to, to look for it? Because it's not something you can almost check a box on. Yeah. It's a... No, it's, it's something really, I think, that you learn along the way. And clearly not everybody learns it, you know. But, but for some reason, whatever reason, I did. And um, I give a lot of credit to my, my working class background growing up in San Francisco. Uh, my, my father was a union member. Um, my, my grandparents, my grandmother, okay, who came from Nebraska uh, um, during the Dust Bowl with my grandfather and my mother, uh, who was born in Nebraska, um, worked their way across the country with my grandfather operating heavy equipment building the highway system then. Oh. Um, and when they got to Los Angeles, um, World War II was happening. And my grandmother was a welder in the shipyard oh. building ships. Right, and my grandmother worked. I mean, she she was amazing. She would be uh, a fifty years old, up on a ladder, <laughs> two stories up on the outside of her house, scraping her window jams and sills, right, and repainting them. And she was just, she was amazing. She just didn't know how to slow down or stop, you know. And uh, 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 she knew a thing or two about working hard, but also about saving. Right, so she did very well because she saved and 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 you know took care, good care of herself, and um, so that was smart. And I learned that um, I give a lot of credit to my teachers, yeah, because you know I grew up. I was in uh, the fourth grade when President Kennedy was shot, and I remember I was developing, uh, I was delivering milk and graham crackers 
I no. had the wagon to oh, my you? job, right? Yeah. I would yeah. go at a certain time in the morning and get the wagon and fill it up with stuff, go around to the different classrooms, right? Yeah. Well, when I got to, and I heard in the teacher's lounge that the president had been shot. And the teachers just immediately, there was like, you know, turmoil and crying and, you know, people, right? And, and so when I got to my classroom, um, I told my teacher, and she couldn't help herself. She just burst out in tears. And people really had so much hope, you know, uh, that this man, this president, who had done so much to really inspire people yes. to do for their country, right? Yes. And um, that really stuck with me, you know, do for your people and your country, you know. Um, um, and I, I give other credit to excellent teachers that I had in high school. Um, um, I was in a special class that combined social studies with English. So there was a lot of reading, and the reading was around issues going on, not only in our country, but around the world, right? And it was a two-hour class in the morning. And these teachers really imparted to me a sense of um, belonging, being a part of, and, and the fact that, you know, here are inspiring stories written by authors who had found a way to say or do something about things, right? And so I always felt like, you know, this is, this is something to aspire to. You know, I wanted to make a difference. Yeah. Okay, that's why, I mean, even at work, and at work I grew. I wasn't, you know, I, I, I was a carpenter, I was a foreman, I was a superintendent, then I was a representative, you know, and at the same time I got involved here with our city, in leadership positions, you know, first advisory positions, but then, you know, voting position on the uh, planning commission, uh, and finally, the city council here. So here, I use this position to leverage, you know, what I know with, with who I know. So I spend a lot of time meeting with our statewide legislators, with Scott Weiner, uh, Jerry Hill, Mark Berman, uh, our, our national, uh, I'm, you know, uh, 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 close to uh, Jackie Spear and, and, and really uh, support a lot of what she's working on. I get, I get you know, uh, input from her weekly, it seems like, and um, because she's working on so many things. So it doesn't <laughs> stop for me. It only grows, you know, and, and I love it. I mean, it keeps me busy. I mean, I'm going all the time, but it's good things. Yeah, you know, this is good. I don't really get time to dwell too much on negative things. I look at something and I think, okay, what's the remedy here? Uh, like, is that almost everything? That that's the prism, the, the the lens you see it. Yeah. What can I do? What can we do? We collectively. Yeah. Speaking and that's something I worked on as a union member. When I went out and I saw members on job sites or at meetings, you know, and I heard some people say, "Yeah, well, the union is not, you know, blah blah blah, whatever." Right? I would say, "Wait a minute. When's the last time you went to a union meeting?" Well, uh, well, uh, okay. So listen, <laughs> I want you to know something. A union is just that. The you, union, yeah. Okay, it's a we thing, okay? There is no you and the union. If you're a member of the union, we are the union, okay? It's the same way here, okay, sure. in the city of San Mateo. People talk about the city and the city government as if it's some separate third-party entity. <laughs> it's not. We, collectively, all of us, are the city of San Mateo, okay? And we shouldn't sit back and, and write comments to the editor about blah, 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 or that, uh, this person or that person if we haven't met them or if we haven't looked seriously into the issue, if we haven't gone to some kind of a meeting to learn more about it, but maybe about what can be done about it. 
it's incumbent on all of us to take some responsibility for the, yeah. the, the conditions that prevail, you know, and we got here somehow. Okay. Um, and I think collectively we all took part in it. So yeah. we need to work together on, on dealing with the issues. Yeah. For, for our audience as well. My disclosure is I'm, I'm from San Mateo as well. So I, I'm going to uh, obviously have a bit a bias, positive bias for it. Rick, can you share with us some of some of the? There's so many initiatives that you're a part of and are making a, a, a great impact with. But one we'll touch on that was it's uh, really interesting. Uh, before we got it was the 101st Airborne. How we mm-hmm. had the parade. Share with us mm-hmm. a little. So bit. the 101st Airborne um, is something we we created a relationship with uh, this group of soldiers who were serving at the time in Vietnam in 1968, uh, and it started when a soldier who was serving there um, wrote to his sister a letter saying, it's really miserable here. It's so hard. We need some support. We need some help. Can you get some people to send us some things, anything, you know, to something to read, maybe a snack, um, something to help lift our spirits, right? And uh, he only lived a couple more weeks. his sister was very deeply touched and hurt. And so she decided to do something to make a difference. And uh, she lived in San Mateo, came to San Mateo, the city, and said, you know, our teacher, I mean, our soldiers are fighting, getting injured, and dying to, to protect us in this faraway land, right? And we need to find a way because to help them and to honor them and to welcome them when they come back home. Because at the time, so there's, the country was going through a lot politically. There are many people opposed the war. And uh, I think I opposed the war. I think it was, uh, uh, I could go on to that for a long time. But anyway, um, the prevailing condition was that soldiers were coming home and being treated individually as some kind of uh, criminal, as, as murderers, um, and disrespected spat on, called names. It was a bad dynamic. Uh, These were young men who went out to do what they thought was serving their country. Uh, We had the draft at the time. Many people didn't even have a choice, right? So um, uh, we at the city of San Mateo, some of my forebears, decided that we could be different, okay? We could um, choose to welcome and honor these young men as they returned from this... um, very difficult service. And um, so we decided to uh, adopt that unit, the 101st Airborne, and we actually threw a uh, parade to welcome them when they came back from Vietnam. Uh, some of their deployments were very long. Uh, it was a very difficult war. Um, and But when they came home, we welcomed them, and they actually stopped on their way home here in the Bay Area, and came to San Mateo for the parade oh, that we yeah. that we had for them to honor them, um, and so this last March we had I think it was a, a three day long weekend event started on a Friday, uh, where we had the fiftieth anniversary of the uh, of the beginning of that that uh, relationship, fiftieth wow. anniversary. So we invited the hundred and first Airborne, and they sent. Uh, a pretty strong contingent of not only active duty soldiers, but also many of the actual veterans. Some who were here at that original parade, 
Oh my! We were here, right? Awesome, and it was amazing. Um, these people, they love, they feel loved by San Mateo, and they love San Mateo. So we had a great weekend of um, um, activities, uh, meet and greets. Uh, we we chauffeured them around to meet um, and see people, places, and things here on the peninsula, right? And um, um, we had the parade, of course, and we had a, a huge uh, dinner uh, where, uh, you know, um, recognitions were given back and yeah. forth. And it, it was it – was, uh, I can uh, see it's, it's still special to you as we speak. Yeah. It, it continues to be a, a real act of love and respect, Yeah, you know. And um, so I was very proud to be able to be the mayor <laughs> this year while yeah. that went on. And um, yeah, it's very touching for me. That's great. Yeah. Now there's so there, again, there's so many um, facets of, of leadership that you're involved with. Can you share with us something the, the clean water project that you you're even were in the, uh, okay. the polo? So our clean water project is um, a project that we began um, to address uh, some serious issues that we had in 2009. Uh, by the way, let's just start with it. Our wastewater treatment plant is old and getting older, okay. right? Um, and some <laughs> buildings there go back to like 1937 or something. Um, and so um, we found ourselves having a problem with having sanitary sewer overflows on our streets. So that's where, because we have hills mm-hmm. and we have low-lying land, uh, and our wastewater treatment plant is along the bayside, um, off of Third Avenue out here, um, we found that during heavy storm events, big rains, downpours, whatever, um, combination of lack of capacity at the plant and lack of capacity in our our, our conveyance, which is our pipes in the streets, right, um, added up to manhole covers being forced oh. by the pressure in the sewer lines to come off the top of the manholes in the middle of the streets. Right, and I have photographs of this because this was a serious issue. So the manhole cover might be hovering about three or four inches above the actual manhole, with just it looks like 500 gallons a minute of diluted but still raw sewage, right, um, coming out, running, running along the gutter to the nearest storm drain, and then going into the creek, which runs to the bay. Well, this is illegal. It's unhealthy, unsafe bad you know you could any number of words you can use we had to stop it so we were actually cited um i think by baykeeper and we had to um uh we we were found you know to be in violation and we were offered a deal our fine was only a million dollars and we would only have to pay a hundred thousand of it if we took the other nine hundred thousand and used it to start the engineering for the project that would end uh-huh. okay. the problem, right? So we took that deal, and um, we've been working ever since on engineering, planning. It's a huge project. Um, but the ultimate plan right now is to uh, basically take where our wastewater treatment plant is, and I think more than double the size of the land it sits on, because we do have some land that the city controls there in front of it, uh, along 3rd Avenue there, Um, build new facilities, um, reuse some of the old facilities, um, which are just basically treatment tanks, right, Mm -hmm. and so forth, 
um, and create this new plant, which I think has a construction cost of like $550 million. Um, nine miles of new pipes in the streets, which we call collection system, um, which are going to be bigger than the existing pipes. So you get additional capacity and storage in those. Though the new plant is going to be bigger and have higher capacity too, we're building, you know, for the future. Who knows? We could uh, see uh, a turn of events with our climate where we get rains like we never ever saw before. Um, and so, um, also, uh, we're looking at the construction of a five million gallon um, um, inline storage basin, um, which uh, altogether it's about a billion dollars worth of work. Um, and this is really a moving target because construction costs here in the Bay Area have been going up really rapidly. So um, maybe a little slowdown in the economy might help us a little bit with that. Not yeah. that I'm hoping for that. No, okay. no. I'd rather maintain a good, strong economy and work with those dynamics. Yeah, okay. excellent. But still, so we're doing this. And um, big project, We a uh, little story about that. We're looking at how to fund it. And so um, we have um, a lobbyist that we hired who represents us in Washington, D.C. with our legislators. And um, uh, somebody came up with the idea, I think between our city manager and the lobbyist uh, and uh, our public works director probably because of our need for funding, uh, that we should go to uh, Washington, at least uh, three council members. We, we went, three council mm -hmm. members. I went with who was the, the vice mayor, Diane Pappen, and Maureen Fresket, council member. Um, to Washington with our lobbyist and our public works director and uh, consultant um, uh, who is helping us with the project. And we went to uh, Senator Feinstein's office, Senator Harris's office, um, Jackie Spears' office, and Anna Eshoo's office. And we went there to let them know of our project and um, the fact that we're looking for some uh, help in securing funding. At the same time, we set up meeting, a meeting with the Environmental Protection Agency because they have an infrastructure loan that it offers low interest, long-term dollars, cheaper than we can get on, on the bond market, um, so that we could try and secure that loan there. Uh, it's called WIFIA, um, Water Infrastructure Financing Something Something. So anyway, <laughs> the deal there is good. It's less than 3% interest on a long-term loan that um, has great terms, um, and um, but it's very competitive. They only, uh, you know, uh, approve because everybody wants it. Sure. They go by geography. They go by the best project, you know. So... We asked them a lot of questions. We got all the information we needed there. We spoke with our legislators. We had breakfast with Jackie Spear in the Capitol at the members' dining room for breakfast. That was great. That's where we had our meeting. So we did great work because apparently in these meetings, um, something got through, and our legislators, all four of them, co-signed a letter to the Environmental Protection Agency asking that this project being you know of this quality and providing this this, you know, all the great factors about this project because the bottom line is the finished product which is the water that normally uh, uh, has been not such great quality right now uh, uh, most of the facilities around the bay are sending water into the bay that needs needs more treatment okay ours did too ours still does okay 
So we would eliminate almost all nutrients, okay, which is a great thing in waste water treatment. And the water would be of recycled quality. And with, I'm thinking, and I keep telling everybody, that by the time we get down to finishing this project in five or six years, we should be able to actually add some additional technology at the end of the process and make it drinking water quality. Now then, what we do really? with that water might not be that we, you know, uh, 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 nobody might not want to drink it because okay, so it's still the yuck factor. But it's known as the yuck factor. Okay. Right? Nobody wants to drink water that came out of somebody's sure. toilet. Okay. <laughs> but still, that quality of water can be used for so many things. Yeah. Right. So we actually got a letter back from the EPA saying, we really like your project. And we, here's, here's the formal application. Please complete it and send it in, which basically, from what I understand, means like, you're getting the loan. Yes. Yeah. So, so we celebrated that just about a month ago, right? Great thing. So that'll help us a lot. One of our consultants told me that he thought that this funding source could potentially save our rate payers up to $100 million in interest payments. That's huge. That's looking out. That's for sure. This is the modern architect of KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. We're talking today with Rick Benim, council member for the city of San Mateo, California. Rick, again, you you, you keep you, you look out for your 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 people. Like uh, I look for a lot of uh, folks in leadership, and not everyone does that. Again, we'll go back to there's a big care factor. Uh, so being being also a builder, uh, in my opinion. Uh, person in a mayoral position if they have a background in building or they've worked in the built environment they understand the totality of an entire city do you think that's an advantage or maybe i'm off base oh no it is a great advantage okay right i i do have um because of my background the ability to look at and evaluate properties uh projects proposals um uh, city facilities in a different way than than most council members with you know different backgrounds can um, I'm, I'm very spatially oriented. I understand when I look at a set of plans, you know, what is this going to be? You know, sure. where is it going to be? How big is it going to be? Um, you know, how will it interact with uh, surrounding uh, uh, structures or whatever we have? And um, so that helps also uh, with my background as a superintendent. Um, toward the end of my career in building, I actually was doing hospital and laboratory tenant improvement projects, very technical projects. I did a lot of work at Genentech and, and Bayer Laboratories and other laboratory settings. Also, a lot of work at UCSF and uh, UC, uh, SF General, um, uh, different hospitals in San Francisco, a lot of work at Kaiser Hospitals. Uh, so um, uh, uh, in doing that as a superintendent, a superintendent on a construction site is like the hub of a multi-spoked wheel, okay? So you have um, the owner, whoever the actual user is going to be, right? You have the architect, the engineer, the, 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 uh, um, your own employer, the subcontractors, the budget, the schedule, um, suppliers. You have responsibility for pulling all this together and coordinating it so that it gets done on time in, in a really professional manner, and of course, your boss is interested in making money. So, um, so you're considering all those factors. Yeah. Um, I, I know this can't be a rule, but can, <laughs> I, 
I, if I had my choice, I would like a lot of mayors to at least have that background because they see the the, 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 the totalness of the city. That's definitely far-reaching. But that's such an advantage, and I'm not sure if the, the, the citizens of the community understand that. Are, do you make them aware, not just by your, your actions? Well, do you I, make them, I mean, I share, yeah, you yeah. know, what, what I'm seeing and what I'm learning and what I know, you know. And I think that's just unique to me. I don't think you can ever... You know, uh, uh, (laughs) you got to be members go through a lot. There there is a lot of training. We're constantly being force fed information, force fed. even. Oh, I mean, we just get tons and tons of stuff all the time. Okay, Uh, uh, because I mean, I haven't even described for you the other committees that I serve on. Sure, Uh, please. um, Yeah. So one of the ones I'm most proud of is Peninsula Clean Energy. I'm a member of the board of directors there and the uh, executive committee. And. Uh, we are the um, default electricity provider in San Mateo County. So we are a community choice aggregation, which was something that was made legal by law in 2002 after the Enron uh, crisis, uh, where we had such difficulties with outages and so forth and gross profit-taking and so forth. Um, Grotesque profit-taking, I think. Um, So and for a long time, cities back east, they have many of these things where a municipality will form their own entity, uh, maybe a county, maybe a few cities. Um, but they go out and they purchase energy on the open market and have it loaded on the grid. And uh, they pay the price that they negotiated, mm-hmm. right? So, so we're using that law, but our whole tackle, take on it here in California now is that we use it to buy renewable energy and have it loaded on the grid and displace uh, energy that's uh, otherwise produced through burning uh, fossil fuels. Um, So we're using solar, we're using wind, geothermal, um, uh, uh, and and right now, so so I'm really proud of this entity. Um, How'd you become involved? So in 2014, it's a good question. In 2014, um, I learned that uh, I learned what a CCA was and that Marin Clean Energy was an entity that had been doing it for, I think at that point, maybe eight years in Marin County. And then I learned also that there was a challenge being posed by uh, some legislation and came from the assembly, uh, an assemblyman named Bradford, who uh, was from Southern California. And his job prior to being elected to the assembly was public relations for Southern California Edison. Maybe I shouldn't be saying these names. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Anyway, um, uh, his legislation proposed, um, as a lot of legislation does, to very subtly make it very difficult to actually grow or form any new CCAs. By design? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, right. it would have been very difficult. It would have been like, you know, pretty much put the brakes on, slow the boat down, and maybe let's kill it. Because that was what PG&E was doing in Marin County. Uh, when, when, Marin County when Marin Clean Energy was trying to launch, PG&E launched a huge effort fighting it and sent all sorts of mailers and TV commercials and door-to-door, you know, people uh, explaining that they're going to they're gonna opt you in and you will have to opt out. Since when is that the American way, you know? And it is what the law says, though, okay? You, because the law is designed to get the thing going, right? Okay. So as long as you offer people the opportunity to opt out, if you had to have everybody opt into this, 
you'd never get it done. Okay, because there's so many questions and people don't pay attention long enough, you know, to any of these things because they have personal lives with lots of important issues going on, right? Sure. So they just think, well, legislators will take care of us, right? Yeah, you can't always count on that. So, (laughs) so, um, so it is a program. So I went to a meeting, a board meeting of Marine Clean Energy in 2014. I think it was in June. With no intention of being as involved, obviously. No, maybe. I really did. You did. So I, you, you had a... So I was doing two things. At, at, at the time, um, I was fighting that legislation by, by staying in touch with my uh, local um, assemblyman, uh, Jerry Hill. And letting him know just about every day. He'll tell you I drove him crazy. Uh, but, but the message was, we can't let this legislation pass because we need what this uh, uh, law is doing. We need to cut carbon emissions. We need to stop climate change. We need to stop sea level rise. We need to make it possible for people to have a choice, right? Right. That's really the most thing. A lot of people, it's a community choice aggregation. You can either stick with PG&E and burn dirty fossil fuels for your energy, or you can have all renewable energy. So right now, um, so oh, let me don't go there yet. So I came back to San Mateo County. I met people in Marin County. I got their cards. I shook their hands. I spoke with them. I came back, and I said to county supervisors, our city manager, I was a planning commissioner, Right. I was a planning commissioner. I said to a bunch of people around here, because one, one thing I do is I make a point of meeting everybody and creating relationships. I learned that as a Carpenters Union representative. So even in 2019, well, we're almost in 2019. 2019, though, the technology, people like to text, call, not, you like to actually see the whites of their eyes if you can. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Okay. Right. Yeah, I, I make it a point to meet and know everybody. And I always go for at least an initial face-to-face, right? Because there's nothing like... That's not common nowadays. Yeah. Sorry. You know, you <laughs> I'm gotta, sorry. Yeah, you got to do it. Yeah. you have influence, yeah. you need to actually sit and look into people's eyes and understand whether they're with you or not. <laughs> you know? Very true. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. So, anyway, we got it going here, right? With in, le- in less than two years, I think, um, we had had a series of meetings. We uh, established a, a steering committee to, you know, try and figure out where we were going. And um, by 2016, we launched um, with a unanimous vote every single, in 20 cities in our county, right? 20 cities. Every single city council member and all five of the county board of supervisors voted unanimously to form this new joint powers authority, Peninsula Clean Energy, right? So we're now the default energy provider. We have two levels. People who don't, you know, don't want to do anything, um, they're getting the 50%, what we call, it's called um, Echo Plus. Okay, so it's 50% renewable energy and about 35% carbon-free energy right now, which is mostly uh, hydroelectricity, right, uh, from, you know, water dams. So 85% total carbon-free, right? If you choose to pay, uh, and that's at a discount, 5% less than PG&E's generation rate, okay? So, and that's, that's you know, designed as an incentive. Uh, for one cent per kilowatt hour more than that discounted rate, you can have 100% renewable energy. And that was in two years, from 214 to 216, you made? We created this entity that is doing this now, right? Huh. So, 
Uh, I shouldn't be stumped, but I am. Yeah. (laughs) We're doing great things. We're not stopping there. Because as the rate payers pay, clearly there's a margin between what we buy wholesale for and even at the 5% discount rate, right? PG&E is paying shareholders, an army of public relations people. You know, they're paying for all sorts of stuff with that that money in between, right? We're plowing it back into the community. On October 11th, we held a groundbreaking out in Los Banos for a new 200-megawatt solar generation facility that we commissioned. Peninsula Clean Energy. Wow. So we're going to be buying all that electricity. We have a contract for 25 years, I think, worth of purchase there for uh, 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 a lot of electricity. That's just the beginning. We're the only one of these. uh, Right now there are 19 community choice aggregations in California. Um, Just two years ago when we formed, we were the fourth. And there are 19 now. There are 19 now. Are there any other cities or states or counties around the country that are actually inquiring? How do you guys do this? Yeah, we're actually reaching out. Oh, you are? Uh, Okay. Yeah, because... You know, as we face difficulties with legislation and the CPUC, one of the things that coming from the union background, we know that we have strength in numbers, okay? <laughs> if, if we're getting beat up, we need more friends, yeah. right? <laughs> we always go out and work to make friends, right? Yeah. So I said we need to reach out to other cities, counties, jurisdictions here in California and make friends and, and, and share with them what it is we're doing how we're doing it, how it works, what the benefits are to their people, and help them get their own thing going. So we started doing that. Excellent. This is The Modern Architect on KZSU, 90.1 FM. We're talking today with Rick Bonilla, council member for the city of San Mateo, California, and 2018 mayor of San Mateo, California. Rick, is there anything else that you you know we may not have touched on that you feel it's a couple things actually we've got some time a couple of things that we may not have touched on that you think are important to discuss. Well, first let me let me just finish a little bit. Sure. In uh, 2017, we saved the people of San Mateo County 17 million dollars in generation costs for electricity. Okay. <laughs> uh, right now, we have a program where we are um, helping people buy electric vehicles. How's by, that? By working out a deal with a couple of dealers. One is, I think, Putnam Chevrolet for the Chevy Bolt, which is an all-electric car. Um, Peter Pan BMW for their all-electric car. And Nissan in, uh, uh, in Burlingame. There's a Nissan dealer there. Um, so not only are there the state-offered uh, rebates, maybe some federal help, but the dealers are also offering a discount, and we threw another $1,000 on top of that, creating this program where we're putting the money that we're generating from the repairs back into the community, right? By giving people the opportunity to buy EVs, right? And now we're starting a program to put charging in, not only all around cities here in San Mateo County, but at apartment buildings, multifamily, in public, on public streets. Um, I just got some news, okay? Um, and it's on our agenda at Peninsula Clean Energy. We'll be voting on it Thursday night. Um, so, yeah, I'd be happy if you shared with us. Yeah, so San Mateo County already has some of the highest rates of EV use uh, in California. 
And you notice if you drive to other states and drive around, you, won't see you don't it. see yeah. nearly as no. many uh, no. uh, electric cars or hybrids as we see here. Okay, so um, we still have a few barriers, but we're working on it. You know, we need to get beyond this small subset of drivers who can afford an EV, right, and who can afford to put in charging at their home. In San Mateo, by the way, new construction requires uh, charging um, facilities, not the actual charging equipment, but electricity to the proper place where it can be hooked up. Residential and, and commercial? Residential and commercial. Okay. Right. Okay. okay. And um, we require also space on the roof for uh, uh, later installation of solar. Okay. But so this proposal, which is item seven on the board's packet for this Thursday night, uh, which is what? Is that the 20, uh, what's today? The 20, uh, the 19th. So tomorrow night's the 20th. Okay, so item number seven uh, plans to leverage millions of dollars in this funding that we've, you know, that we've got um, uh, through our process um, uh, to install thousands of EV chargers at schools, apartment buildings, and other areas where they're needed. Right? A thousand? So we're just putting them out there to encourage people to say, because this has been a barrier to adoption, right? We're smashing that barrier, right? We're going to have places where people can charge all over the place, okay? That's just... So we also started a partnership last month with Silicon Valley Clean Energy to assist 32 member cities in adopting new, what we call REACH codes, okay? These are building codes that go above and beyond in terms of um, environmental um, remediation, okay? Creating additional building efficiencies, but also additional energy saving um, um, technologies being added to not only uh, create any new construction as green as possible and possibly net zero or even um, uh, even better, but also to take and start um, improving our existing building stock, which is um, you know a big source of emissions also, and make it much more efficient. Because energy you don't use, number one, uh, doesn't cause emissions, and, and uh, you don't have to generate as much electricity. So we don't want to have to build tons of generation facilities that we don't need later. We need to start right now eliminating the amount of energy that's being used to light and heat and cool and whatever our yeah. buildings. This can all be done electri electrically now, by the way. We don't really need natural gas anymore. We have a developer right now who's proposing a 960 or 70 unit project in San Mateo. They've got a deal with Peninsula Clean Energy. It's gonna be all 100% renewable electricity, no natural gas. Wow. I met with them and wow. I took them to meet with Peninsula Clean Energy. And I said, if your project gets approved, would you commit to doing this? They said, yes, we would. We absolutely want to do that. Thank you for bringing us this opportunity, right? We need to be the modern construction of the future. I love it. Yeah. I'm not yeah. supposed to show bias in this, but I have to do That's <laughs> great. <laughs> That's outstanding. Yeah. So, okay, then I'm also a member of the um, HART, which is the, the housing. HART isn't like. HART. Okay. H-E-A-R-T. Okay. Which is the Housing Endowment and Regional Trust here in San Mateo County. We're a nonprofit. And we uh, uh, receive funding from different entities who want to make it available for what we do, which is make two things, 
the biggest thing we do probably is make um, low interest, um, uh, short term loans to nonprofit housing developers that they usually use for land acquisition to get the project started, right? They need some bridge money uh, for a short term, uh, not a whole lot, okay, but they need, and they need it at, at a, you know, a rate because this is a nonprofit trying to get something positive done. So we've been doing this in San Mateo County, I'm not sure how long, but I think it's a couple of decades. Um, we've had our housing shortage here for 40 years. Okay, so we've known of it, we've been working on it, and I'm very proud of the work Hart does because um, we are basically a catalyst in getting a lot of the affordable housing. Like, for instance, we're building here in the city of San Mateo at our Bay Meadows site a new 68 unit all affordable building with money from Hart that uh, um, Bridge Housing got for the start, money from the county that came from their uh, uh, Measure K, right? and some other sources. So we're going to have that. It's going to be built soon, right? Um, just for one example. So the other thing we do is we help first-time home buyers. So we have uh, mostly teachers and other um, uh, public employees that come to us for some reason. But, <laughs> and it's probably because we're limited. We can only fund a loan of like 795000 So people can buy if they can find a condo, you know, somehow within that limit. That's what they buy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, anything we can do to help people. Uh, in the uh, lower income strata be able to uh, find a place that they can buy, right? Well, at the same time, we're building, you know, along with our nonprofit partners, a lot of affordable apartments. Jeez. I'm Rip. also on the uh, South Bayside Waste <laughs> Management Authority, okay. uh, which is Recology and Rethink waste, Okay. Yeah. right? So we own the facility down there you see along 101 mm -hmm. in San Carlos. Um, we have a contract with Recology, the trucks that you see all over the place. Yes. Um, they do the collecting, and they deliver it to that plant. That plant then does the sorting. That plant is um, it's, um, South Bay Recycling, right? a different entity we have a contract with. And they operate it. We own it. Um, we have a, a sorting facility there where all the stuff out of your blue can gets paper, plastic, whatever, gets all sorted and uh, bundled up for uh, recycling, which is a whole nother long story I don't want to go into right now, but it's having some difficulty that market. Um, but they're in charge of shipping stuff up to the landfill. Well, the landfill has a big issue because for years, forever, landfills emit huge amounts of methane. So we need to stop that. Methane is a really uh, uh, damaging uh, 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 to our um, atmosphere. Um, and uh, the Earth's ability to, it's causing uh, uh, warming to speed up. So um, we have to eliminate that methane. So our landfill up here at Ox Mountain is going to get full. It's, it's, yeah. That valley is really getting full. They're going to have to stop it at some point. Okay, But more importantly, we have to stop the methane, contributing to methane emissions. So we're actually starting a pilot program where we're going to take and squeeze the garbage and get all of the juice that comes out of it from food waste mostly, right? And we process that and turn it into a fuel that can be used to either generate electricity or to fuel your public fleet, sure. right? Your public so, fleet. Yeah. There so, is no end. We'll eliminate methane emissions uh, from any new landfilling, right? So, And it'll also shrink down the amount of stuff that goes to the landfill. So... This is outstanding. Uh, uh, Rick, I, I, 
this is just wonderful. I mean, I, I, I'm supposed to be uh, the host, and I'm almost speechless with just the uh, the goodness that you uh, you're creating here. It's been an honor and a pleasure having you, Thrick. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. I really mean that's just terrific. Thank you so much. I hope you consider coming back uh, in the near future. I hope sure. you do. Thank you sure. very much. Yeah, there's more we could talk about. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that's great. You've been listening to The Modern Architect. I'm Tom Dior. Our guest today has been council member for the city of San Mateo, California, and mayor 2018 of San Mateo, Rick Bonilla. Rick was born in San Francisco and grew up on the peninsula. He and his wife have resided in San Mateo since 1991, and he was appointed to city council in January 2015, elected November 2015 to a two-year term, and re-elected in 2017 to his first full term. Rick also served, again, as mayor of San Mateo in 2018 and chair of San Mateo's Planning Commission and six years on the Public Works Commission and several years on the Pay Meadows and Transportation Corridor Citizens Advisory Committee. Looking out for you, that's for sure. For more information, feel free to visit www.cityofsanmateo.org. That's cityofsanmateo.org. Join us again next time when we welcome another outstanding architect, engineer, influencer, or civic leader committed to positive and sustainable cities, communities, and lives. The Modern Architect is recorded at Stanford University Studios and on-site throughout California and is a production of KZSU Radio. Today, the recording engineer is Stephen Blanton, Chief Engineer Mark Lawrence, and we're all assisted by Akshay Jaggi. And the, I'm the executive producer and host of The Modern Architect, Tom Dioro. If you wish to contact us, our email address is interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. Again, that's interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of over 240,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of production and broadcasting costs for The Modern Architect.